please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 14. Stand therefore, Paul says, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, we're looking, friends, this morning at the armour of God, the spiritual armour that God has provided. We began last week with a little bit of a, a primer, an introduction, and the call, really, that to engage in this battle, to enlist, well, we've already enlisted as soon as we believed. We're automatically enlisted by the Lord in this battle. And we looked at the, the nature of this battle. It's not against flesh and blood. It's not an earthly battle. We don't fight against people. Uh, we fight a spiritual battle. That's what Paul uh, has been saying. And our enemies are spiritual. They're not people. They are the devil and all his wicked agents. They fight against God's people. They fight against Christ. They hate Christ. They're out to destroy the church. They've got many schemes, many machinations which they have in place to try and bring down the church, to try and bring you down as a representative of Christ. And so they're out to hurt us, to harm us. And if he could, if it wasn't that the Lord was keeping us, well, he would try and destroy us completely. And that's how much he hates uh, God's people, hates all men, as we said last week, has no love in his heart, no love in his heart, but uh, only hatred and malice and evil to bring everyone down with him, to bring mankind down, especially man because he is made in the image of God and especially believers because Christ has been formed in them. So we have to oppose him. We dare not use carnal weapons then in this fight against him. And so God has provided spiritual armor for us, armor that we must put on every day, spiritual armor that we must put on every single day until that time when we are called home. This is brought out very beautifully in Pilgrim's Progress. You remember not soon after he was saved, uh, he was in the house uh, beautiful or the palace beautiful, and representing the church. And there at one point, uh, he spent a number of days there actually uh, uh, with, the, with the friends there. And at one point, they took him into the armory and they showed him all the different armor of God. They showed him, and I quote, all manner of furniture which the Lord had provided for pilgrims, a sword, shield, helmet, breastplate, all prayer, and shoes that would not wear out. And there was enough of this to harness out as many for the service of their Lord as there be stars in the heaven for multitude. And actually, you could think of that armor like a museum, a Christian war museum, because also he was shown in that place other relics uh, found. Uh, uh, there were relics found in that museum. There was, in that same room, there was Moses' rod 
There was the pitcher and the lamps and the trumpets that Gideon used in his, his warfare. The jawbone of Samson with which he conquered the Philistines. The sling and the stone of David. Uh, all uh, images to show how right from the very beginning God's people have engaged uh, in the spiritual warfare, the spiritual battle. Well, let's look at these individual items of, uh, of armor. Firstly, uh, verse uh, 14, the belt of truth. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Well, the soldier's belt, um, as, uh, as you know, was made of uh, leather, and it was uh, fastened tight around his waist, uh, fastened over his uh, short tunic, and uh, if that he didn't want his, his tunic, his clothing, to come in the way when he was in battle. He wanted the freedom uh, to fight without any hindrance. Uh, and two, this belt also were attached, the breastplate and subsequently the sword with its, uh, the scabbard would be attached to it. And it's, to us, it's the belt of truth and suggests to us that we must have truth very tightly uh, close to ourselves. The believer is to gird himself with truth. But what truth is in mind here? Commentators suggest uh, go either way. Either it could be the truth of truthfulness, which we've looked at uh, previously, and Paul says is one of the marks of a believer, a true believer, that he is sincere, that he is truthful, that he is honest, that he is upright, and this sincerity permeates his, his life. He's sincere when he comes to worship. He sings and he prays with sincerity. He listens with sin sincerity because he wants to hear the word and he wants to hear what God is saying and he wants to apply it uh, to his very life. He's not just a listener only. He is a hearer and he wants his life to change. He realizes there are areas in my life I need to change still. I need to be sanctified in. I cannot go on in the ways that are displeasing to the Lord. He's sincere about wanting to please God and to honor Him and to live for Him in life. He's not play acting. He's not pretending. He's trying his very best to follow the Scriptures and to honor God. You could think of it sincerely sincerity in that kind of a way, or you could think of it as objective truth, the girdle of objective truth, the, the Word of God itself, the, the doctrines of Scripture, the instructions of Scripture, the promises that are given in, in the Word. And I, I, I take it more as this, in, in this second way, that uh, uh, th this belt of truth refers to the Word of God itself. Because we read about this armor, but it's given to us. It's God-given hour. It's prepared by God, and God given, it's God-given. And so we could think of the Word in that sense, definitely. It's not something of our own making. It's God who has prepared it uh, for us. And so uh, we need uh, to know the Scriptures and be familiar with the Scriptures. But it's, it's wonderful because as we become familiar with the Scriptures... And as we ourselves apply it to our own lives, that also contributes to us being sincere in our walk with God. And we become more, uh, uh, more truthful in, the, in our lives as we read and, and know the Scripture and apply it uh, to us. So friends, we must uh, be, uh, be, uh, have the truth 
of God's Word very close uh, to us, hold it very tightly to us. The devil is a deceiver. He is one who we know is a liar from the beginning. He hates the truth, and he opposes the truth. Oh yes, as we said last week, he's the author of such things as atheism and rationalism and materialism. He's the one who uh, comes up with these things and influences people to follow that, that way. But he's also trying to lead God's people astray. He doesn't leave the church alone. He doesn't say, oh, that's Christ's church. I'll just deal with those who are outside the church. Oh, no, friends. He, his primary attack is on the church. How is he going to get the church? Well, he could persecute the church. That's what's happening in some places. He could, he could persecute and terrify people. Oh, you mustn't meet together. Otherwise, you're going to be arrested and you'll be put into prison and you'll, be, uh, you'll, you'll lose your job. That's what's happening in some countries, not in our country, thankfully. And how is he going to get at the church here? Well, he'll try and come in through bringing in wrong teaching, to bring in erroneous teaching, false teaching, false doctrine. You only have to read the letters to the churches in Revelation to, to see how the devil comes in in a seductive way through false teachers. But, oh, but today we say there's a reviving of the Reformed faith, and there is, thank God. And people seem to be quite sound in, in their belief. They know, they know what they believe. Well, that's wonderful. But then Satan will say, okay, you know what you believe. He'll come in in a different way. And he'll come in through trying to change our practices and bring in practices which are against the Word of God and change the way, as we often say, of our worship and change the way of how we call people to the gospel and to faith in Christ. And he is very clever. If he cannot... Uh, attack us on the truth, he will come in a different way. So we have to be very careful of the different ways he tries to lead us astray and to deceive us. And so it's all the more necessary, friends, to, for us to be so familiar uh, with the truth. And the easier it is, the easier that we uh, know, the more that we know the truth, well, the easier it will be for us to spot error. You know the old a very old illustration, I'm sure, that uh, if, if you get a job in a bank as a bank teller, well, one of the very first things you need to know is how to tell counterfeit money. And how, what's the best way to learn how to, uh, how to detect uh, counterfeit money? Well, you become so familiar with the genuine thing. You become so familiar with the genuine notes that when you come across a counterfeit one, you can recognize it, you can feel it immediately. And that's the same uh, for us as, as, as Christians. We must become so familiar with the doctrines of Scripture, so familiar with God's ways and what God's pattern for the, for the local church, that when other things come in, we're able to discern, say, that's not right. That's not according to the Word and the testimony. That's not biblical. And so uh, we are aware. The psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. And that's all we need to do. Now, that doesn't just mean memorize Scripture. Yeah, we do memorize. It's very good to do, to memorize Scripture. But it means also know and understand what the Scriptures are saying. 
uh, take the time to, to understand it so that when the devil tempts us maybe to sin or to sloth or to ease or to take off our foot of the pedal and just slow down a little bit don't be so fanatical don't be so outgoing for Jesus Christ be idle well, we, can, we know from the Word we've hidden in our heart. Those exhortations come to our mind. Awake, now it's time to wake out of sleep. It's high time to do that. Walk worthy of God and this high calling. Fight the good fight of faith. These are the things that will come to our minds. Friends, how well do we know the Scriptures? Take, take time every day to read it, to ask questions about it, to read good books that will help you to understand it better. Uh, can we explain the scriptures to others? We should be able to. If we walked a number of years with Christ, some of the basic questions at least we should be able to answer that unbelievers have. We should be able to open the scriptures. That's why we encourage people to come to the meetings so you can hear the word and have it hear the gospel even in the evening. There's so much you can learn even from a gospel service that will help you in your daily life and the midweek meetings uh, too. So the belt of truth. But then there's the breastplate of uh, righteousness. This was another piece, a piece that uh, covered, uh, uh, covered the body from the neck uh, right down to the thighs. It's made of two parts, uh, one for the front and one uh, for the back. And it was uh, it meant to protect the body, of course, from blows and missiles, protects the chest, protects the heart. Well, that's so important. Friends, what do you do? And yet, when the devil comes and says to us, you're no good. You're no good. You're a failure as a Christian. Look at all that you've done. You're a miserable failure. You don't deserve to be a Christian. And he comes and he points out our sins and our failings and he charges us, he accuses us, and then he condemns us. But where shall we go? What shall we do? What, shall we, what weapon shall we use in such a, uh, at such a time like that? Well, how shall we answer him? Shall we go to our own righteousness? Shall we go to uh, what we have done? Shall we look over our Christian lives and our obedience and say, that we'll use that as our armor? No, friends, here we the breastplate of righteousness refers uh, to the righteousness of Christ. Not our own righteousness, but the righteousness that has been given to us, imputed to us, imparted to us when we first came to Jesus Christ. When we first believed in the Lord and we asked, Lord, forgive me of all my sins, pardon and cleanse me, receive me as yours. Yes, he did that. He forgave us all our sins, but at the same time also, in order to be accepted by Him, He imputed to us, He gave to us the righteousness of Christ. You see, friends, if you're unaware of this, uh, Christ not only died for us, we know that, He died for our sins to take them all away, but Christ also lived for us. He lived in obedience to the law of God. He never once put a foot wrong. He never sinned. He wasn't doing it only for himself. He was also doing it for all his people, for you and for me, if we believe in him. And that righteousness 
is accredited to you the moment you believe in Christ. That righteousness is given to you so that when God looks at you in Christ, He sees not your righteousness, He sees the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Christ. He sees you as perfect, not because you are in actual birth in yourself, but because you're clothed in Christ's righteousness. And this is your, uh, He accepts you, He sees you. If you're a believer here today, He sees you as one who has never sinned because you're covered in the righteousness of Christ. That's how wonderful, that's how amazing, that's why God welcomes you into heaven, not because you are righteous, but because of this imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. So when the enemy comes, and he will, to accuse and condemn you, well, then we think not of our own righteousness, but of, uh, but of Christ. Again, Pilgrim's Progress, not long after he had donned that spiritual armor, he was engaged, as you know, in battle with Apollyon. And Apollyon tried to get him back. Oh, you're my master, you're my slave, I'm your master, you've left me, you've deserted me, you've proved a traitor. And, and, and a, a Christian said, I found a better master. He's much kinder than you are. He treats me much better. His, his rewards are much better than what you pay me. You pay me the rewards. Your wages are sin and death. Mine, my masters, are eternal life. And, uh, and Apollyon, when he, uh, he went on while he tried to accuse a Christian. Look at some of the things he said. You've been unfaithful in your service to him. You sinfully slept and lost choice, your choice things. Oh, you were almost persuaded also to turn back when you saw the lions. Oh, in all your talk of the journey, you are, you're only doing it for yourself, for vain glory. And in all these ways, uh, Apollyon, the devil, tried to accuse Christian. How did he answer? How did he answer? He said, all of it is true and much more which you have left out. But the prince whom I serve and honor is merciful, and I have obtained pardon from him. Well, that's how uh, we are uh, to, to respond. We haven't got much time, but Martin Luther also said something similar, isn't it? When he wrote to a friend, uh, Jerome Weller, uh, he, who was doubting his salvation, and he gave him this advice. He said, when the devil throws up our sins to us and declares we deserve death and hell, we ought to speak thus. I admit I deserve death and hell. What of it? Does this mean I shall be sentenced to eternal damnation? By no means, for I know one who suffered and made satisfaction in my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Where he is, there shall I be also. Oh, friends, this is our hope. This is our, 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 where we are safe, in Christ. And when the devil comes and accuses us of all these things, yes, yes it's true, but I'm still loved by God. I'm still saved by, by Christ. I'm still saved by His righteousness. But then, verse 14, this third piece, which is shoes for the feet. Verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Military shoes of the time, well, they, they covered the feet. They had thick soles, uh, pointed, uh, pointed studs or, or nails, uh, which allowed them to have a better grip 
uh, when they were walking and uh, across rough terrain. And it was also a very important piece of the soldier's armor. If you think of it, if they didn't have proper shoes, well, they would most likely get blisters on their feet or trench water and other kind of uh, foot diseases. But having the, these proper shoes, well, it enabled the Roman army to keep moving forward at a good pace and over that rough terrain. And sometimes their enemies were surprised. How come they're upon us so soon? It's because they had the proper shoes on and they were advancing at that rapid pace. Well, the believer also has to put on his spiritual boots before you leave home. That's what you do, isn't it? One of the very last things you do is you put on your shoes. You put on uh, your boots or your shoes, whatever you're wearing uh, for the day. You're preparing yourself. And those shoes, will, well, they allow you basically to walk freely. You can just look straight ahead of you and more or less uh, make, uh, make a good way uh, just uh, quickly from one place uh, to another. But if you went out barefoot, or you went out just in your socks, that's a different story, isn't it? Even, even then you'd be moving at a much slower pace. You'd have to look at your feet, look at everywhere you were going, make sure you didn't put your feet in muck, make sure you didn't put your, your uh, there weren't any uh, broken glass or sharp edges along the way. You'd be very, very careful how you walk. And so you, you'd, you'd advance at a much, much slower pace. But if you, you've got your boots on, well, then you can move uh, rapidly. And having your feet shod with this gospel of peace, well, it will enable us also to move swiftly, to move easily, to move with alacrity. And I think that's what Paul is getting at here, this idea of alacrity in our walk with, with, the, with the Lord and in this fight. About, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What does he mean, the preparation of the gospel of peace? Well, William Hendrickson in his commentary uh, translates it in this way, a readiness derived from the gospel of peace. A readiness derived from knowing the Lord. A peace that comes from knowing Christ, from knowing that our sins are all forgiven, from knowing that we are at peace now with God before He was angry with us, before He was angry with us because of our sins, but now we have put down our weapons. We're no longer fighting against Him. We are at peace uh, with Him. And we have perfect peace with God. And that is a stimulus to us. That is a stir uh, to us. That is, enables us to walk with great alacrity. It puts a spring into our steps to know that we are accepted by the Lord. That we are at peace with Him. It gives to us a cheerfulness in our lives. Imagine a soldier, and he doesn't want to go out, out to war. And he's reluctant to go to war. Well, it's so much harder than a person who's up for the fight, and is ready to go, and is willing to go, and he, 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 he's putting his shoes on, suggests even he's ready to go. Well, friends, uh, even for us, I think this is speaking to us of the cheerfulness that we derive from the gospel, the cheerfulness that uh, enlivens our spirits. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And, the, the, and this gospel peace fills the mind of the believer. 
and fills him with a, a willingness with which to discharge his duties and to engage in the battle. He's not a reluctant fighter. He's not holding back. Or oh, there is a, a, a spring in his a step, an alacrity to do uh, God's will. He's not dragging his feet, but he is going forward. And this is the effect of the gospel in our hearts and in our lives. Of course, these shoes, we can say, are not only defensive, but they're also of offensive because they were marching into enemy territory with those shoes. And so should we. This is, this is on, in an offensive way, we could think of these shoes as uh, taking the gospel, the good news, to other people, invading the enemy's territory, seeking to win people to the Lord through personal witness, through the church witness, through prayer. We engage in, uh, in seeking to bring others uh, to Him. So it, it can be seen as a defensive as well as an offensive kind of armor. Oh, friends, are you wearing these shoes? Are you wearing these shoes? Or are they in the shoe locker, hidden away, put away? And you're wearing maybe, your, what are you wearing? Flip-flops? Sandals? What kind of shoes, friends, are we wearing? Or are we wearing these military shoes which engages for the work? Oh, friends, do you know the peace with God? Have you come, perhaps, uh, have, you, have you come to know the peace that comes from uh, knowing the Lord, from giving up the fight against God, from giving your, yourself to, to, to the Lord? Have you come to know the forgiveness of your sins? This is uh, what God offers to us in the gospel, forgiveness of our sins and a place in heaven. That's so comforting. That's so reassuring. And uh, do you know these things for yourselves? I must uh, move on. Uh, time is running out. Shield of faith, verse uh, six, 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith he shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. Well, you've seen these kind of shields on, on TV, I'm sure, the Roman soldiers. It's not the, it's not the circular ones. It's more like an, an oblong one, and it's, uh, it was almost in the shape of a door. It's quite a, a, a big shield, four, four feet in length by two and a half feet in, in width, and it was covered in, uh, it, was, it was made out of wood, a thick wood, but it was covered also in, in leather, in hides of, in, in hide, uh, and as you know, people hid behind it when the arrows or those projectiles came flying in, came darting in from all over the place, or well, those shields would go up. I'm sure you're familiar as well with the, uh, the tortoise formation and the way the Roman army would, uh, if they were attacking, for example, a fortress, and they knew all the projectiles would be coming from above, well, the front line uh, of the army uh, of a certain battalion would, uh, would, would line up together with the shields in front, and those behind would put their shields above their heads. So that when they approached that fortress and the people on the walls were throwing their missiles and projectiles down at them and those arrows were being shot at them, well, it just stuck in those arrows and it didn't get through to hurt and to harm the soldiers. And the shield of faith, Paul says, above all, that doesn't mean more than any of the other pieces of armor, 
but in addition to all the other pieces of armor, we are to take up this shield of faith wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Those fiery arrows that were intended to cause uh, so much harm and devastation to its victim. Those arrows were, were dipped, the end of those arrows were dipped in pitch and then set on fire before uh, they were discharged. And if you didn't have your shield, you were done for. You were done for. What, friends, then, are these fiery darts that Satan shoots at us? Well, it can be all sorts of things, all sorts of different things. Doubts about the Scriptures, doubts about creation, doubts about our own salvation, doubts about God's love for us. He'll shoot these things into our, into our minds. Doubt about God's help. Oh, God's not answering your prayer. God's not for you. God's not helping you. Where is God now? Look at your situation. You've been praying about that situation for a long, long time. Why? God hasn't helped you. Where is he now? All sorts of things. He'll try and provoke you through other people or suggest things to you about your, your husband or your wife. Oh, look at what they've done. Look at this and that. All these things he may uh, put into our minds try and get you to distrust the Lord, to shake your faith in Him. Oh, He's got so many of these darts. Of course, the classic example is Job. And you know what happened to him. What a great, great trial that man went through. He was a good man, a righteous man. He loved the Lord. But Satan said, you're protecting him. Let me at him. Let me have him for, for a while. And so the Lord gave him permission, and everything that Job had, he lost. He lost, and he, was, he had a lot of things. In one day, he lost everything. Uh, he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 oxen, 500 donkeys, and worst of all, he lost all of that, and worst of all, he lost all his sons and his daughters as well. In just a day, how would he react? How would he, what his response be? Well, he put up his shield of faith, friends, and he said, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then Satan took away his health also and uh, tried, uh, no doubt, also moved his own wife to say, curse God now and die. Look, this is the end. Why are you holding on to your integrity? Again, he lifted up his shield of faith and he said, what? Shall we receive good at the hand of the Lord? And shall we not receive evil? That was his response when all those terrible things happened to him. And it, uh, it may be, friends, that we are in the midst of some grievous and long uh, trial. We may be in a dark place and our faith is shaken. Or maybe this week something may occur which will shake us again. What will our response be? And let us lift up that shield of faith. Lord, I will trust Thee no matter what. I cannot understand everything that's happening now. I don't know why this has happened, but I will still go on trusting in Thee. And then we have verse 17, the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. Protection for the head. And we all need protection for our head because if the enemy gets into our minds and discourages us, and causes us to despair, 
then we'll become battle-weary and think, what's the use of it? I'll just, I'll just resign myself to living a second-class kind of Christian life. I won't go to the forefront. I've known people like this. I knew a brother who was very much into witnessing on the streets and uh, preaching and giving out tracts on the streets. And something happened. Something happened. I'm not 100% sure what it was, but something happened. And a while after I saw him, he said, No more. He said, No more. I'm just going to go to church and just worship the Lord, but I'm not going to get involved so much in that frontline kind of activity. Well, something got into his mind to make him come to that position, to make him put down uh, his weapons. Friends, we have to keep our heads keep our heads from dropping. And here Paul suggests that the way that we do it is we don this helmet of salvation, which is here to think of heaven. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the helmet, and verse 8, the helmet is referred to as the hope of salvation. And here Paul is saying, think much of heaven. Believer, think much of heaven. This war won't go on forever. This war will come to an end one day, and then you'll put off that armor, then you'll put down your weapons, and then you will enter into your eternal rest and into those delightful, those ecstatic things that the Lord has prepared for all those who love Him and trust in Him. Heaven, friends, think of it. What a beautiful place. Oh, this world is so horrible to live in at times. There are many good things God has given for us to enjoy, but it's filled with anxieties and stresses. We're hurt by people, by other people. There's so much harm that comes our way. We're not at peace. There's so much to trouble us. Well, friends, heaven is the opposite. Heaven, there are none of these things. There is nothing there to, to, uh, to put you in danger. Your life is not in danger. You, nothing will harm you there. You are granted a, a perfect peace. No tears, no death in that world to come. No harm at all. Think of it. Keep these things in mind. The anticipation of heaven. And then finally and briefly, verse 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A double-edged sword sharp on both sides, an offensive weapon, of course. The belt of truth, we said, protects us. Here the word in the hand of the spirit and the believer, well, it may be wielded to overpower our spiritual enemies. How are we to advance in, in spiritual growth? By the word, through the word of God. We, we gain ground in our spiritual lives through the word as we know it and apply it to our lives. How is error in the church to be overcome? Through the explanation of the Word and through the church holding on tightly to the Scriptures and living by those Scriptures. How are souls to be one for Christ? Through the preaching of the Word, the preaching specifically of the Gospel, the saving message that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, give your life to Him. This is the spiritual weapon. This is the we weapon that we use uh, and through preaching the word, the gospel, and in total dependence on the spirit, our souls 
are saved and moved and come uh, to Him. So friends, this is uh, our, our message for today, the whole armour of God. Verse uh, 13, Wherefore take unto you the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Let's close by singing our final hymn, uh, which is number 487, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, 487.